I'm making, I'm sorry, I was doing this. You're going to have to edit that out. I'm so sorry. So many, so much chapstick noises, Amanda. (laughs) You think I'm just like some magical dude who can like edit out your chapstick? Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are brother and sister and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming. Yep, and today we will be talking about Christmas special. Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone the 1997 novel and the 2001 movie magical magical movie inspired Mm -hmm. by the harry potter marathons on abc family Mm -hmm. they do every single christmas oh okay oh you mean like our christmas special christmas i'm trying to defend on why we would be doing harry potter (laughs) yeah i feel like harry potter has like especially the first couple movies because of chris columbus has a pretty heavy like Christmas middle, so I feel pretty justified in doing it. Yeah, and plus, you don't want like boring Christmas movies, like uh, like all the old timey Christmas ones, like yeah, I'm like sure you- White Christmas. Ugh, boring. Uh, any other movies in uh, black and white? So boring. <laughs> <laughs> so boring. I blanked entirely off that, even though we watch like a million. We Christmas watch a million. Movies. They're all boring compared to Harry Potter. True. True. Uh, mostly true. Somewhat true. Somewhat true. Uh, So we're assuming that you're familiar because everybody and their mom has watched Harry Potter. But just in case you need it, here is the quick 60-second rundown. Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. In a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. So Harry Potter, newly 11, orphaned and living with his awful aunt and uncle and spoiled nephew, finds out that he is a wizard when he receives his acceptance letter to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The lucky devil. Uh, so not only is he a wizard, but a rich and famous one, <laughs> who may still have a big bad out there looking to end him. When Harry and his friends uncover a MacGuffin stone hidden in the castle, they have to work together to steal it first, resulting in magical fun, puzzles, and a D&D style dungeon gauntlet before finally facing the end level boss. Uh, so David, what was your first experience with the very first Harry Potter movie or book? Yeah, I don't remember how I got started with Harry Potter. Probably integrated into (laughs) it was probably you because you are a big old nerd and you probably made me read it. So I remember as a kid going to see the movie first. I remember we all went out as a family to go see this movie. We did not all. Go okay, out to d- see tell this me movie. my childhood. This is. The, okay. I feel like the experience <laughs> section is turning into David. Let me, as your big sister, tell <laughs> you about yeah. your experience. I think it's because we have we have like a five year gap between us, okay. so it's like just enough time where, like, when you were a little bit too young to remember things, I was like perfectly recording those memories in my brain for when you got old. Tell me so, my memories, Amanda. I know for a fact that I was definitely the person to introduce Harry Potter to our family because I read them in sixth grade. Uh, At the time, the three books were already published. 
uh, the first three in the series, and I read through them as fast as humanly possible. I remember waiting on the edge of my seat pre-internet to, for the fourth one to come out, and I, David, I read magazine articles about it. That's how much I loved this series. <laughs> was it like Scholastic Nerd book? Yes. Magazine? Yes it, was li- yes, it was literally like that. I remember I saved a Time magazine that published the first chapter of the fourth book oh for gosh. like – and I reread it over and over again until it fell apart because I couldn't wait for the book to come out. I purchased the book myself. I like walked to Walmart and like purchased the book. <laughs> Little myself. sixth grade Amanda going to Walmart. Because yes, because we were not allowed to read the Harry Potter books. There was like a very brief moment where our mom jumped onto the anti-Harry Potter train and we technically weren't allowed to read any Harry Potter because of witchcraft. So imagine my my unfiltered rage when I came home to find out not only did mom take us to go and see Harry Potter, she took everybody but me to go and see the first (laughs) Harry Potter movie. (laughs) Okay, I don't remember this at all, but I do remember telling our parents because, you know, I was reading this book, I was watching this movie, so I was talking to them about it. And I mentioned the fact that they didn't let us like read the books as kids. Guarantee they initially. have no memory of that. Yeah. They fiercely deny this memory of yours. <laughs> yeah, no. Because you have course. a great memory of you like reading the book in secret in a bathroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would hide it. I would hide it in between my uh I shared a room with our sister. And so my bed was against the wall because we, we had to fit like two twin beds in this tiny room. And I would hide it between um my bed and the wall. And I would sit and pretend to do homework on my bed, but really I was reading Harry Potter the whole time. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> they fiercely deny that ever happened. Yeah. And to be fair to them, they didn't like lecture me on it. They didn't it was more like it was more like it was frowned upon. Like there was a couple times when dad was like, come on, you know, your mom doesn't want you reading that book. Like get rid of that book. And I was like, okay, I will dad. And then I totally did. <laughs> yeah. I loved it so much. <laughs> Maybe I just, I forget that you weren't involved in seeing the first Harry Potter movie. At least I was living. <laughs> I could not believe that you guys went to go see it without me. I guess so then it's I had fitting. to go see it like afterwards by myself. It's like fitting. You're like a little Harry in your little cupboard with the book on the door, secretly (laughs) reading. Yes. It was, of course, Harry's life is cartoonishly ridiculous. Um, But I was, you know, 11 when I read the book the first time. And so it felt very magical to connect with Harry when I was also 11, hoping for my Hogwarts letter. Yeah. Hogwarts letter that never came. Never came. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember. Thanks. Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a kid, like you just giving me the book, making me yeah. read it. And probably, I probably yeah. got to about book five. And that is where I dropped off. And I find that mm-hmm. I am not the only person who tends to drop off at number five because it seems yeah. to be the shift in tone uh, that the mm-hmm. series makes in the books from the yeah. original four. So that's when I stopped. Although I was like, I don't know, 13 when I stopped. So I don't feel too bad for stopping. Yeah, I, you know, ever since I, I blazed through those first four books, uh, you know, I waited like anxiously for each new book release and read it like within a day of it coming out. So I was one of those people. Yeah. And just to cover our butts, just in case our ever parent, our parents ever watch this, we love you very much. And thank you, you for very, very 
being our parents and your you're parenting. great. Yeah, 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 and yeah, you're yeah. wonderful. Yeah, you're great. Uh, let's get on to some facts, though. Tell me some book facts. Yeah, I found this section kind of hard to do because, to be honest, like the publishing of Harry Potter has become like the Cinderella story yeah. of our time. Like it, it literally launched a thousand YA book deals. You know what I mean? And so I think uh, there's like a handful of things that I really appreciated. Um, I forgot it took her six years to write uh, the very first one, uh, even though she came up with the idea kind of all at once and like claims to have outlined it like on a four hour uh, train ride, which is very cool. Uh, it did still take her six years to write the first book. Um, and she was rejected 12 times, mm. uh, submitting her full manuscript, rejected four, uh, 12 times before she was finally accepted uh, and published. And she was she got her first cut check of 1,500 pounds, and it was a very big deal at the time. Little did they know. Picture being like one of those dumb publishers that passed. Like picture being yeah. the person who rejected her for the final That's time. Rough. And then really coming around and being like, oh, man, I could have made like billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, like at the time, kids literature wasn't really a thing. Um, nobody thought like like nowadays it's really common, like half of adults of half of young adult sales are adult people, like people over the age of 20 and 30 buying those books to read for themselves, not yeah. to give as like gifts to other people. And that really wasn't the case at the time. Like that's really like our generation slightly older than us, like having grown up and still loving that type of book, I think in part because of Harry Potter. So yeah. it was definitely a different time. Um, you know, she changed her name so that uh, she was ambiguously gendered. Uh, I remember being surprised when I found out that she was female because of JK and because her protagonist is male. I just assumed that she was a guy too. Um, and she was told she was never going to make any money writing kids for books and she should give up on it. <laughs> <Because that's laughs> very funny. <laughs> Screw all those dumb 12 um, publishers. Yeah. The other fact I found funny, uh, just from an enjoyable point of view, this is more like a movie fact, uh, that Disney passed on the movie rights because they were worried that J.K. Rowling had too much creative control, which is just hilarious. Which is ridiculous. And they passed just on ridiculous. her for the, I mean, this is stretching into theme park land, but yes. like they didn't want her controlling parts of the theme park, which is ridiculous yeah, because... Which is ridiculous. I mean, Amanda saw me at... Uh, we went to Universal Studios last year. I got to walk down Diagon Alley, and it was, like, the most it's incredible magical. experience yeah. mm -hmm. I've ever had. It. I am scared to go to Galaxy Edge, the Star Wars world, in Disney, because yeah. I think I'm going to be very disappointed in it, because I love that franchise so much, and the Harry Potter world was just so much better. Yeah. Well, I think Harry Potter World, and and I mean, I think we're going to talk a lot about this later. I think it really lends its success to the success of this first movie because it gave that theme park all of the design it needed, uh, the amazing John Williams score. And so I think like, to be honest, like the I was shocked rereading this book at how little detail there actually is. Yeah. 
And the world that we get in this book is so rich and well-designed and magically beautiful. And when I went, when I went with you to Harry Potter world last year, walking down into those like set pieces, it feels like you're really there. And that's really because you feel like you're in this movie in particular. Yeah. This movie yeah. did a great job at setting up the world. Anyway, we're, yeah. we're getting ahead of Anyways, ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Hit us with some movie facts. Let's go through some movie facts here. Uh, so, f- again, this is one of those movies that are, like, super well documented. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of hard IMDb to find, like... The fact page is endlessly long. Seriously, it's endlessly long. And it's one of those where, like, everyone knows the stories of, like, the kids getting picked and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I try not to focus on a few things. But a few things that were, like, of the time that I found kind of interesting. Uh, one is that the filmmakers originally wanted to use the Canterbury Cathedral for some of, like, the Hogwarts scene. But, you know, at the time, people were like, you know, Harry Potter's demonic and witches and ah. So they didn't allow it. So a different cathedral, the Gloucester Cathedral, agreed to do it. Gloucester. Oofa, guys. Oofa. (laughs) Um, Decided to do it instead. And there was, Mm -hmm. like, supposedly mass protesters and everyone was angry. And they were getting letters and newspapers claiming a blasphemy. So finally... Uh, They said they were going to block the filmmakers' access, so they weren't allowed to film at the location. And one protester turned up. That's it. It (laughs) wasn't a real thing. It was like fake outrage Uh, before Twitter was a thing. Yep. So I found that very interesting. Uh, Another thing, which is just, they gave us no context to this fun fact on the INDB page, okay? Zero Mm -hmm. context. Just during the Harry Potter movies, this is all of them, this isn't just one, Daniel Radcliffe went through 160 pairs of glasses, okay? That's awesome. (laughs) So that's about 20 pairs of film. Yeah. Like... I saw something similar too, where he went through like almost that many or more wands or something like that, where he was just like breaking wands nonstop. What? Like, I can't imagine maybe having like five pairs of glasses. That seems like just enough to be excessive for him doing really stupid things. But, like, what is he... They didn't mention what were the 20 glasses of film were for. I'm not sure, like, how you go... Being as people who, like, have worn glasses since we were, like, in third grade, it's very difficult to think about going through that many pairs of glasses. Yeah. Maybe they're just flimsier. I did notice during the movie that sometimes the glasses didn't have lenses. Yes. And maybe that's just about it. That happens. I know we're not talking about the other movies. That happens a lot more in the later movies where there's clearly no lenses (laughs) at all. (laughs) So uh, let's move on to the actual discussion. Amanda, what do you think about the story of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? Oh, the story. I love it, obviously. I, you know, grew up with it. I still love it to this day. We still do like a Harry Potter marathon once a year to go through all the the movies. I reread the books fairly regularly. I love this story. And I think it's, it, you know, rereading it, it's really held up. Um, it's pretty clear that it's, you know, it was meant to be like a middle grade book. It's pretty silly. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things where I can tell, like we didn't grow up necessarily having like boarding school stories, um in the u.s like there's a couple of them but it's not really like a common yeah that's not a thing story for us. yeah and so i think it felt like really new to me when i read it 
Um, and I've seen in some places, like especially in the UK, it's not really treated that way. It's not really treated like a new thing. Um, but I could really appreciate how there's definitely like tropes that she brings in from those stories. And she always takes it like a couple of steps further for it to be even more interesting. So like there's an entire subplot with Neville learning to stand up for himself, which is so sweet. And, you know, even Snape being like the awful teacher that picks on Harry. I feel like it kind of works in this one. I feel like in some other books it doesn't work as well. I feel like it really works in this one being like the surprise teacher that was, you know, had his back the whole time. Um. And all of the characters are just really – and, like, the, like, the Dumbledore being, like, the funny um, older dude – like, like older – what am I trying to say? Like, older uh, – Mentor-type character? Yes, thank you. Like, a mentor character um, who's just, like, silly enough yeah. uh, to be fun, um, but still has, like, a very, like, gravitas presence in the story. So there's a lot of things that she takes, and she takes them just, like, even Harry being an orphan, he could just be an orphan, and that would be the end of it. But she spends a lot of time um, thinking about Harry's grief and mm -hmm. um, his desire to build his own family again and, like, having to let that go in order to grow up. And, like, that's some really deep stuff for a book that's 300 pages long. Yes. And meant for, like, 10-year-olds to read. Yeah, this book set up things so well. Like, there's a yeah. reason why this became a craze, and that's because, like, all the setups are super simple, but mm -hmm. she takes the time to, like, dive into concepts and give them an extra weight to them so that it's, yes, a children's story, but it's one where every kid can A, fantasize about, but it also yeah. feels like the characters are human and not just caricatures of a bully, a teacher, right. whatever, uh, except for Malfoy. Malfoy's just Malfoy's sort just of a bully. <laughs> for a while, yeah. <laughs> for, he's like, for a bit. For a good amount um, of time, yeah. <laughs> like, it is just such a fun world to be in. Like, mm -hmm. I had more fun reading the parts of the book where they were just describing the world or yeah. Harry and the gang just doing daily activities and getting into trouble. That yeah. was fun for me. I will say, because I came into this uh, wanting to go about it a little bit more critically, I guess, because mm -hmm. I think all these stories are super familiar, and this is the first time I'm rereading it in like 15 years. Yeah. I will say... The actual plot is the worst part about this book. Ah! I thought the uh, the entire Voldemort Maybe. plot is just a little boring for me. Um, whenever I... they had scenes with them trying to find who Voldemort was yeah. and find out, okay, how do we um, like figure out to stop Snape was when it was like the most... Uh, boring to me. I just wanted to get to the other parts of the story that I enjoyed a lot more. Yeah, I think I think those are the things that are handicapped the most by it mm -hmm. having to fit into a specific genre. I think being the first one published and like maybe publishers not being sure of like how to market it or like what to do with it. Um, I think that that's where that shows the most is in kind of like this goofy plot. Uh, because like the first, basically the first half of this book is just them getting to Hogwarts and that's it. Yes, that's like, it. He doesn't even like go to class until like page 150 out of 300, which kind of blew my mind. But like the very first part of it is really good. And she focuses on like 
this is a like mundane world that Harry has been forced to be in for 11 years or 10 years. And this is the world that he really belongs in. And it's like a very slow transition into that world. And then as soon as he gets to Hogwarts, it's like, boom, this, boom, this, boom. Like each chapter is like this own like little mini story of like funny stuff happening. Um, And sometimes it goes back to like the main mystery, which is what's hidden in the castle and who's trying to steal it, which is not necessarily a bad plot. It's just less interesting than just Harry making friends at magic school. Yes. (laughs) It's JK Rowling spent so much time uh, before Hogwarts setting up his story that by the time he gets out from the Dudley's control, and he moves on to being his own person, it's not only like a relief for Harry, but it's a relief for you as the reader to be like, wow, I am glad I am no longer going to have to hear any of those Dudleys talk because they drive me crazy. I love the Dudleys so much. I mean, I love them. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But it's a relief as the reader to get to finally get to Hogwarts. I love that the first five pages of this book is like a short story about Vernon Dursley and his life. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so great. Um, but I think that's true about like all the care. I think that's a real strength of her her writing is that each character feels like a real character. Yes. Like McGonagall feels very different from every other teacher at the school. And even the students, who some of them just get names, but the students that we spend any time with, like they each feel very different. Like I know who Dean Thomas is and, you know, even though he doesn't like have a story necessarily. I did like too that um, I forgot how much Neville is like a really yeah. a like prominent character. He's much in more book. integrated into the book than the movie. Yeah. So what did you, what did you enjoy specifically about the book? Like uh, having returned to it after so long? Uh, I think it's just the fact that they're very clearly sillier than the movies like the movies in some regards are like very great pieces of cinema like uh, the fact that they made eight movies that i mean there are some that are definitely better than others but that are like well-made good cinematic movies is very impressive Mm -hmm. uh and yes the first two movies are a bit more uh of a kid's movie but boy this first book had some silly things in it okay my favorite thing was the songs that yeah. are much more apparent. Okay, there's like the Hogwarts song that everyone sings at their own pace, which I think is incredible. Yeah, and and Fred and George sing it like a funeral dirge. Yes. And, and, and Dumbledore <laughs> claps for them and like wipes away tears at the end. It's just so funny. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then the sorting hat has a little song that yeah. gives you like the gist of what each house is. Yeah. Uh, and I loved that song. I really wish I could hear that song in the movie because it was just so fun and it gives like a great introduction to what uh each of the houses are about Mm -hmm. um but the silliest of the of the changes that the books have that i just love so much about the book is dumbledore uh he's very silly every time he's so much sillier he's much more closer to like how i imagine like a gene wilder willy wonka Mm -hmm. type of like wise mentor wizard rather than like this um, very prestigious uh, uh, warm man. He is warm, but he's just so 
out of left field, and yeah, I love that about He the definitely character. feels like someone who has dedicated his life to kids, like yes. for a specific reason, because he likes being around kids. He likes teaching them and goofing with them in like a really um, encouraging way that I think sometimes, especially in the later movies, we miss quite a bit. And I think yes. – um, you know, I think this movie's Dumbledore. I think uh, Richard Harris does capture that very well in his performances. Yeah. yeah, I just love this. The silliness is what made me really love the character. Like I, everyone knows who Dumbledore is, but I guess I've just forgotten this version of Dumbledore. Yeah, and it makes all of his later character decisions so much more. Um important and have weight to them just mm -hmm. because you you've seen him when he's been silly and light yeah like the very first scene that we get dumbledore um you know mcgonagall's trying to have this really serious conversation with him about voldemort and <laughs> dumbledore's like because she's she's saying like voldemort is the only one like you're the only person voldemort's ever been afraid of and he's like oh i haven't blushed this much since <laughs> since man and pomfrey like uh, complimented my earmuffs. I'm like, that's such a silly thing to say in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a kid who's just been orphaned and you're making yes. some joke. And it's yes. it's delightful. I love it's, it. Yeah, yeah. It's done in a really, really uh, tactful way, I feel like. Yes. Yeah, a really skillful way. Um, I was shocked at how – I had forgotten how strong, like, her author's voice is in these books. And yes. I think because it's, like, a, it's very clearly middle grade, and I think maybe she um, edits it a little bit later, but I think that's some of the charm of her writing. It has, like, a very, uh, to be honest, like, Roald Dahl quality um, that mm -hmm. I kind of forgot about. And to return to it and to just feel – that like very strong author presence from the very beginning like it's almost like the the narrator of this story also has a bit of a sense of humor um because of the things that she points out and notices throughout and about the characters um and that's just very charming it made the book very charming to return to yeah yeah agreed agreed anything else you want to talk about with the book um no nah. it was wonderful cool it's just wonderful. It's yeah. just like, it's fun to revisit. And especially since I haven't read this since I was like 11 or 12, mm -hmm. it was very refreshing to see how much of it, of it was just like an easy, enjoyable read to get through. Yeah. Still to this day. Yeah. It was, it was incredibly enjoyable. Um, you know, I feel, I still feel like it was kind of rushed at the end. I kind of feel like maybe she was trying to keep it at 300 pages. Most of the plot happened the last 30 pages yeah yeah so it would have been nice if like the pacing in the beginning of the book matched the pacing of the end of the book but i think we would have had a book that was probably you know closer to like 500 pages if that was going to happen Easily. which is i think is a rough ask for a, a you know a very young reader <laughs> um I Nowadays, I do wish it was 500 pages, though. I really would have enjoyed it. <laughs> I guarantee you that if you were like, David, read this wonderful kid's book, and it was 500 pages, I'd be yeah. like, no. That's like yeah. half the reason why I never finished the fifth book. It's because yeah, I looked at how big. long it is, and I was like, nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily think like the length of the later books made them better, but I do think like it's just a pacing thing. Like I wish the pacing at the beginning matched the pacing at the end. 
Um, but that's like a very nitpicky thing. Uh, I still I still really enjoyed reading them. I've I've heard from some people that they don't like the first one as much as some of the other ones. Um, I've heard a lot of people cite that you know four, five, and six even are some of their favorite books. Uh, I still have a very special place in my heart for the first one, just because I do think it it sets up these characters so well as real people. Um, and even just like the introduction of Harry, Ron, Hermione, Neville from these pages uh, and the teachers to match them, I think are just so powerful and they carry it through the entire series really well. Great characters. Perfect yeah. characters. Yep. Yeah. So let's go on about the movie. Tell me, what do you enjoy about the first movie? Oh, so many things. So I... It's such, yes, such this, a pretty movie. Yeah, this was a movie, too, that I kind of written off as one that I didn't really rewatch. There's a couple of ones down the line that I really love. And uh, it has, because, I think because it's Chris Columbus plus John Williams score, mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot of Home Alone. It, yes. it just, like, has that feel to it. A lot, some of the shots that are set up, like, have a very... Um, similar feel to them, similar framing, similar tone to the movie. A yeah, lot of he time. has a look to his films and yeah. this film continues with that. Yeah. And so I would say like 60% I love and then like 30% I hated. <laughs> <laughs> so like the the casting is incredible. Everybody in it is <sighs> Top super notch. talented and amazing. Um, I think we've already talked about how great the set elements are. Um, I think the costumes even and like the general design of it the all. The sets so and costume beautiful. designers were perfect. Yeah. And there was never a time like when I – even when I saw the movie when I was a child where I watched it and I wasn't like, oh, this is 100% Harry Potter. This is 100% Hogwarts. This is 100% Diagon Alley. I always had that feel from the beginning. And I think it was a combo of the score and the set pieces, but it's just it's just spot on. It really captures it really well. Um, one of my absolute favorites, call out to McGonagall, is her incredible velvet green robes. Every time I see her in there, I'm just like, oh, I wish I was a wizard with velvet robes. She looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes, they somehow that. made robes look really cool in this I movie did. because robes aren't cool, guys. If you ever no. wore a robe, it doesn't look cool. It's not flattering. You look like a weirdo because you're basically in like a big snuggy poncho. Yeah. And but like I was I even noticed that like in the very last scene, uh, where they're giving out like the house cup points and Dumbledore rigs it to be Gryffindor. Uh, Dumbledore's got this dope robe on with like this mm-hmm. huge buckle. He looks amazing. He looks like rich Santa Claus. Like he looks awesome. Yeah, that dude's blinging. It's nuts. <laughs> he really is. So I especially noticed like the costumes are really incredible in this movie. And I think the overall look just kind of set the tone for the rest of the movies really well. Yeah, I mean, having JK there to sort of consult them, I yeah, can I'm tell sure that helped really lot, helped yeah. because... I I mean, if they had messed up the look and it looked like some B-rated Nickelodeon film adaptation or like, you know, for me, one of the worst adaptations of a setting is like the Percy Jackson films. If they did like a Percy Jackson style adaptation for the setting of this, it yeah, would suck really so yeah. much. Um, but they it. Like you said, it's just like 100% Diagon Alley. It's 100% Hogwarts. It all feels like magic. Again, a lot of that has to do with John Williams' score, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, do you think, 
it's the best John Williams score. It might be. There's a there's like a handful of them. I think it's probably the most magical John Williams score. I I would it would be hard to like pick a different one. I regularly like will have like while I was reading this book, I was humming John Williams in my head yes. while I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to do the main theme it's so when good. you're going through some of the descriptions. Yeah. It's I thought about this question a lot because, you know me, I love me Star Wars. Yes. Star Wars has some of the some most incredible music. Yeah. music. Yeah. However, I noticed that some of the best Star Wars songs or, or scores come across all the movies, yes. not just one. This movie hit all the best music out of the park right away yes it's not just the main theme it's really good. when it's christmas morning and i wake up i'm like like i love it yep it's perfect so good. yeah to go back on one thing you mentioned the cast because mm-hmm. there is of course the main cast that we all know the teachers and the students okay yeah who's your favorite adult from the cast my favorite adult like every time they're the on cast? the screen you're like yes I mean, it's McGonagall, right? Like, oh my gosh, Maggie Smith, amazing. She she knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I have a dark horse favorite. I really love. Let me make sure I get his name right. David Bradley, the guy who plays Argus Filch. He is so funny as Filch. Every time that it cuts to him, he is grumpy and yeah. he's holding this cat. And he has that whole speech when he's leading them out to the yeah. Forbidden Forest about how he misses being able to hang kids from chains in his office. He's like, oh, I miss the screams every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. He commits he a is thousand really percent to being this non-magical caretaker in this giant castle with his with his crazy cat. I love it. He's so funny every time he's on screen. I love it. Well, that's the thing is that even the background characters sort of round out this universe to make it yeah. feel so lived in and so real. Like my favorite background character is uh, John Hurt yeah, pay- he's playing super Mr. Good. Ollivander. He steals that scene. He- he's on there for three minutes, three minutes of screen time. I thought about him at the end of the film immediately and yes john hurt is unbelievable but boy like the amount of emotions he goes through through like excited to see harry Mm -hmm. and his realization that oh man and you give him voldemort's wand and like the comedic timing it's like the things he does in three minutes are insane and i think that's a really important scene because up until that point the movie's kind of like a goofy kids thing like like the the disappearing glass is funny and Hagrid, you know, punching in the Dursley's door is funny. And, you know, even Hagrid like on the streets of London is very funny. And then you walk into Diagon Alley and it's amazing. And then the minute you walk into Ollivander's, it's quiet. And it's just Harry and Mr. Ollivander. And it's this really kind of emotionally charged scene where yeah. Harry is learning for the first time that his something bad happened in his back. Like he's famous because of something mm-hmm. bad, not because of something good. And it shifts the tone just a little bit. And I think it makes all the difference in the movie, to be honest. Plus you get the trailer money shot where mm-hmm. he hits the wand and then there's a glow around him and then they turn on the fan and it's like, and it's what everybody wants when you pick up a wand. That's that moment. It's true. It's, it has the feeling like, my biggest disappointment when I went to the Ollivander shop 
in Harry Potter world was mm-hmm. that it was so busy, like legit. It was bumper yeah. to bumper traffic the whole way. Yeah, it was. And I just wanted to experience that of being to go into the shop and grab a wand and feeling powerful. You can Ugh. do that, but you have to pay to do it. So. Boo. It's pretty expensive. Boo. Um, so what to you were the most surprising changes? You know, we kind of we both have grown up on this, so we had some ideas in our mind about it. Went back and read the book and watched the movie back to back. What were the most surprising changes in the adaptation for you? Yeah, I've mentioned a few casually, like the Sorting Hat song and Dumbledore being a little bit sillier. Yeah. One thing that kind of stood out to me is, you know, they go on a lot more little adventures together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing for me, which I actually think the movie did better, is that there is a scene where Hagrid gets a little baby dragon, and it's really cute. Um, and in the movie... The baby dragon is found out by Dumbledore and he is set off to some reservation, some dragon reservation. In the book, they have like a heist. Yeah, it's a very elaborate scheme. They steal the dragon. Mm -hmm. They get Ron's brother Charlie to come by and fly into Hogwarts and steal the dragon away. Yeah, undetected somehow. Undetected somehow. Uh, Like a little baby dragon. And a part of me was like, oh, what a cute little story. Another part of me was like, this does kind of feel weird being here because it they get through like some major like plots, like Mm -hmm. information. And then they they just like stop to have a dragon. Yeah. And it happens very late in the book. Yeah. Which makes it feel weird. It feels like it should be some kind of climax, but it's anticlimactic at the same time. Yeah. So it does feel a little bit jarring in the book because it, it it would make much more sense for Dumbledore to just step in and fix it, mm-hmm. especially because he cares so much about Hagrid already. Yeah, it it just felt super jarring and a yeah. little bit out of nowhere in the book. So I think the fact that they streamlined it in the movie just made a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, my I would say the same. I think. To me, the most surprising changes are the changes they made to the characters. I think they made some very specific changes, I think, for plot convenience. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I think, to make, like, you know, a kid's movie in the early 2000s, like, to make it more appealing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, there are very specific changes they make to Ron to make Ron be a goofier character, more like a a comedic sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. He has this catchphrase where he's like, I know what that is. And he he says it like 10 times in the movie. And I'm like, I get it, Ron. You're a wizard. We all know that already. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And that's not to say even that I don't like uh, Rupert Grint. I actually am a fan of him. I think that especially as he gets older, I think his performance even gets better. Um, But I think they just gave him like really goofy stuff to do because they took Neville out of so many scenes. So instead of it being like Harry, the protagonist, Ron, the like trusty best friend, Hermione, the know-it-all, and Neville, the goofball, they like kind of combined – uh, what's supposed to be Neville's character into Ron's character, and I think it undercuts a couple of things because they make they make Hermione a little bit more perfect in the movies than yeah. in the books, which is a little annoying because I liked her 
especially in the first book, being like this flawed, annoying know-it-all. She was so annoying. She was, she was so, so annoying, annoying in the first I, half of the book. I know, and I loved her so much. She, <laughs> <I> loved- <laughs> she is, I have met little kids like her. Yes. My favorite part is when they are, what are they doing? They're sneaking out for something, and Hermione, oh, they're sneaking out to duel uh, Malfoy. You remember that? Or Malfoy like yes. set up a trap for yes. them. And Hermione is literally following them and lecturing them about why they shouldn't sneak out. And she follows them out uh, out through the, the portrait. And then she gets stuck with them because the fat lady's not in the portrait. She can't get back in. And then she like continues to yell at them. They're like, we didn't make you come. <laughs> and it was like, and it's such like a realistic portrayal of like kids becoming friends. And I really yeah. missed that because in the book, Hermione's like, google essentially for them like she just literally solves every problem for them she is a little bit of a uh hermione ex machina she really uh, is yeah and i missed her being more complicated in the book and i honestly really missed neville's arc from the book like there's this whole part where he's learning to like stand up for himself and he's put into gryffindor and everybody makes a joke out of it and he's picked on nonstop, and it's a little bit goofier in the movie. But in the book, he, like, finally learns how to start standing up for himself. And then the points at the end are, like, just have, like, a little bit more of an emotional punch for him because mm-hmm. he really did learn to become a stronger person. Yeah. Neville got shortchanged the most, I think, because yeah, he, he has a lot of honestly really funny scenes in the book, too. Like, mm-hmm. to continue with the Malfoy scene, when they're walking around in the dark... Neville is just on the ground sleeping, and they're mm-hmm. like, Neville, why are you in the dark sleeping? He's like, Oi, I forgot the new password. Yeah, he doesn't and know the new password, so he's stuck outside. He's just and sleeping he's like, on the floor. The bloody Baron keeps coming by. <laughs> <laughs> it's just cute. Yeah, I love it. I will say that I do like that the movie toned down on the ghosts. I thought the ghosts were kind of annoying in the book, personally. I thought the but... ghosts were annoying. I didn't like, I, I didn't mind, like, I was kind of glad Peeves wasn't in it. Um, I know they filmed some scenes with him and they ended up cutting it. And I'm kind of glad I didn't love Peeves. In the- He's yeah. a funny, like, again, like, um, um, just like something useful to like move the plot along sometimes or just like make jokes. But he's not that great. And so I'm glad that they no. cut him out. He's not fun. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Gryffindor, though, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, because I recently redid the house sorting quiz. Oh, did you? Uh and I was a little A shot by the results. Really? And B, yes, because I always thought I was in one house, and I guess I'm in another now. Are you uh, really? Yes. So originally, you forever. Yeah, and I'm not really happy about it either. I don't. I don't agree with it. Okay. Well, keep in mind, the Sorting Hat takes your choice into consideration. So if you ask it kindly to be put into a house, it may consider that. Exactly, and this is why I have some beef. So okay. here's the thing: I did the quiz a long time ago on Pottermore, which Uh everyone knows is where you take the quiz. Um, And one, I took the quiz on Pottermore a long time ago. They said I was in Hufflepuff, and I was pretty okay with that decision. They do make fun of Hufflepuffs in the book a little bit, and I was like, I hate you. I I have such a love for Hufflepuffs. A lot of my good friends are Hufflepuffs. My husband's a Hufflepuff. I thought for most of my life you were a Hufflepuff, so. I guess I'm not, though. But (gasps) so here's the thing. Shocker. I take a quiz and one i had to make a new account to retake the quiz which is super stupid it should just let you take it as many times as you want yeah but whatever had to make a new account and 
Uh, they ask you the typical type of questions, like, do you want X, Y, or Z? Do you want a cat, a toad, or an owl? Uh, those types of things. From the Pottermore quiz. <laughs> you should retake it. See if you get something different too. Uh, I was actually I, secretly I have retaken it several times, it. and I always take it. <laughs> I always get <laughs> the same. What are, what house are you? Just so the audience knows. Um, do you want to take a guess? I am a hundred percent pure Ravenclaw. Yeah, Nerd I. Baby. I have always wanted Ravenclaw, honestly. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Ravenclaw just has the coolest, honestly. Uh, logo the and, and colors, is pretty cool. Yeah, it's oh, so cool. It, but it anyways, helps. those are like my favorite colors. So <laughs> it helps too. Yeah. But I'm retaking this quiz, and at the end of the quiz, they say heads or tails. What? They just make you choose heads or tails, and the adult in me is like, has their system narrowed it down to two houses? Yeah, and and instead of asking me, yeah. I am now flipping a coin. That's probably it. So I said tails, <gasps> and it gave me Gryffindor. Oh no! And I'm basic. I'm what if your basic other one was house. Hufflepuff? So you're basically Gryffindor seeker on the Quidditch, Quidditch team. I am 100% so boring. Harry Potter. Yeah, it doesn't help <sighs> that you have a Harry Potter vibe to you already. So, yeah, Harry as a kid, everybody, I had circular light glasses and long hair, mm-hmm. just like Harry, and I got asked in Target once by, by a, a little boy yeah asking if i was hairy and i got very insulted because i was, yeah, was 14 and figuring yeah. out my look yeah and apparently anyway, it was nerd harry potter and it was not working yeah but i'm basic that's the end of that story <laughs> it's basic and the pottermore quiz is stupid they should have asked me and if i got the option i would have said hufflepuff i still feel like you're a pretty big puff you should take it again I have to make another new account. Yeah, go make another new account. You did you do del- all the other stuff? Did you do like the, did you find out what your Patronus is and stuff like that? No, because I mean, that's cool and all, but I just want to know what house I'm in. Okay, so if you could choose your own Patronus, what would it be? What do you think your spirit animal in the Harry Potter world is? Do I get to choose, do I have like a list of options or can I just choose any animal at this I'm point? I'm pretty sure it's any animal. I don't, I mean, I think there's a list, but only because they don't want to animate like, endless amounts of options yeah this is like really hard for me on what i want to choose right now huh huh this is actually really difficult amanda i'm not going to be on the spot because honestly every animal that comes to mind are not real animals they are pokemon ah yeah and i I can't have a pokemon okay so if you could have a pokemon be your patronus (laughs) it would be bulbasaur right obviously Uh, of course (laughs) that would be the best (laughs) So maybe your Patronus is a toad? No, it's a dinosaur? Bulbasaur. Stop it. Stop trying to give me some <laughs> other dumb, non like actual real animal. Could you have a dinosaur for a Patronus? That's a good question. I mean, it's a, technically an animal, right? I would want a and raptor Patronus. Magic. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's a raptor I feel like noise. That's a terrible raptor noise. Also, yeah. I feel like that, like, raptors are like vicious creatures why would you want that yeah, to represent your spirit cool. into the wizard world yeah. uh so when i initially took it do you want to guess what mine was uh i'm gonna say i don't know is it a fox that's what i would have chosen for mine i would have loved yeah. to have a fox i got a hedgehog and at first nice. i was like flip the table there's no way it's a hedgehog and then like the more i think about it i think maybe it's 
accurate. You're definitely a hedgehog. <laughs> I thought more than one second about it and have come to hedgehog. Yeah, so I've come to terms with, I've come to accept my hedgehog Patronus. I'm okay, like, I'll, I'll take the Patronus quiz and I'll yeah. figure out what I am. Okay, good. So what is your biggest, what is your one or two nitpicks for this uh, story? So my biggest one is one that I would also do to change the story. And that is the fact that if Harry just, let's say, uh, never found any of the plot conveniences that led him to uh, being suspicious of Snape or wanting to go down and uh, meet Fluffy, like maybe he never met Fluffy by accident, you know, and if he just wasn't involved in it at all, the plot wouldn't have changed a thing. Voldemort wouldn't have been able to get the stone. In the book, it's even mentioned that Dumbledore was like seconds away from getting into the chamber anyway to save him. So like, I feel like you could remove everything they did to advance the overall plot and mystery and nothing would have changed. I, I mean, I would disagree with that because I do think, you know, this is the first book in what was always planned to be a series of books. And there's a antagonist mentioned at the beginning that we don't see the entire time, who's obviously going to be the big overall antagonist. I think it's very important that they come face to face at the end of this book. And I think it makes a big difference in who Harry is from this moment on. And to be honest, like how Voldemort treats Harry from this moment on. Um, Because while I do think there's a good chance that no, Coral wouldn't have gotten the Sorcerer's Stone if if uh, Dumbledore showed up, there is a very good chance that Quirrell would still be with him and they would have escaped together and something else would have happened much sooner. To me, it like delayed his coming back until the fourth book. I, uh, I agree with you. And here's where I disagree with you, where, yes, I think it is important that Harry have a confrontation with Voldemort. Absolutely. You can't just talk about him the whole book and not have him show up. However, I think that Harry needed a piece of information that Dumbledore or the adults didn't have to make him actually confronting a shock. Because otherwise, if you would have just taken Harry out, yeah, uh, like Dumbledore said, he was going to walk in and stop Voldemort anyway. Like it was going to be resolved. Yeah. So it'd be nice if he got in there and it was like, oh, Dumbledore talks to him and he realizes that he has a piece of information that he didn't have before. Maybe, but I think like that's not really the point of Harry Potter. Harry Potter's supposed to be like the not hero hero. You know what I mean? Like he's he's a hero because he's not special. Because people- I don't necessarily think it needs to make him special mm-hmm. per se. Uh, I think Harry's character... Uh, doesn't have as much growth in the last half of this book. Well, no. There were, yeah. It's so uh, that's all. I just yeah. feel like they could have had some sort of growth, mm-hmm. for example, in his wizarding abilities, because very famously, Harry does not cast a single spell in the movie. Spell the entire movie, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's going to be my nitpick. <laughs> it's and, like, like when Hermione is giving him a speech at the end. He's like, you're a great wizard, Harry. And I'm like, but is No, he isn't. No, not yet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's very true. I think that has more to do, though, with the um, restrictions of the genre she's writing in. Because I think, you know, this was plotted a certain way. 
And I think like the the fact that like the kids are left to like solve the problem and be the adventure, I think has more to do with the genre than it has to do like restrictions than it has to do with like what kind of makes sense growth. Like it's a it's meant to be a middle grade book. The character is not supposed to develop. You know what I mean? And then he eventually does yeah. down the line as he deals with different things. So I would agree to you, but I think that you're asking for something that was never going to happen and be published at this time. You know what I mean? I think it just would have been, for example, interesting to have like Harry have a piece of information so that when he touches Professor, it was Quirrell, Quirrell. right? Yeah. Quirrell's like skin that he starts turning to ash. Then instead of the audience being like, okay, what the heck's going on here? For Harry to be like, oh, this connects this dot. And now I know why I can touch him and he will die. Instead of just being like, oh, this is pretty convenient. Nice. Let me put my yeah. grandma hands all over your face. Yeah, I get I get that a little bit. Uh, I also think it's it's kind of inevitable that something like that would happen, though. Because yes. that's part of, like, Harry being brave is that he's going to fight to the death to protect this thing, even though there's no chance of him winning. And his, like, eagerness to do that is matched with this ex machina ability that he didn't really know about, and he wins the day. My nitpick change is the fact that Harry very much witnesses himself murder this professor. Yes. And they do not talk about it yeah. at all. Whereas in like the books, it's kind of talked about. Like he he like breaks out in boils and then he faints. And then uh it's he's told later that he kind of in passing, kind of like tucked into like a bigger speech that Coral died and uh, Voldemort left him for dead. I think that's how it said that like Voldemort left him for dead. I don't think he ever said Quirrell died. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is important. Um, but Harry witnesses him literally crumble into dust in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Like Avengers style, just float away yeah. in a bunch of dust. That's yeah. messed up. And I definitely feel like it puts a wrench into like some other plot points that are later on with like Harry witnessing death and stuff like that. That maybe yeah. doesn't make sense anymore. But also should be very scarring for a young child to have literally killed somebody with his fingertips. Uh, that'd be very difficult to handle. <laughs> Dude, I wouldn't want to touch anybody. It'd be like, uh, what's her face from X-Men? Yeah. Like, being afraid to touch anybody. Mm -hmm. I'd be a uh, rogue. I'd mm -hmm. be just exactly the same. I'd yeah. be like, nope, my little kid hands are deadly. I kind of get why they did that, because they needed something cinematic to happen at the end. Um, but I feel like they could have had, like, Harry faint and then like uh Quirrell have like this moment with Voldemort and then Voldemort like leaves him to show like how evil Voldemort is and then he disappears into dust maybe but to like to have it like in front of him and then have that goofy shot where Voldemort is like ghosting through Harry <sighs> oh, yeah weird. so strange um strange. yeah that was a very <laughs> strange choice <laughs> Very strange choice. A lot of things just in like the last five minutes honestly. Yeah yeah I mean it wasn't that, that was like very one minor thing that kind of bugged me. Um, the one, the actual nitpick that I have. Is oh, okay, that, your nitpick uh, caused by another nitpick. Give me more nitpicks. So my one nitpick, major nitpick, is just like an editing choice. There are so many shots on just Daniel Radcliffe's face reacting to things. And it's very bad. <laughs> when he's like, ooh, I'm mad now. Like, especially like in Quidditch. Um, or it just like cuts to just framed his face. And I feel like 
Chris Columbus was like, this worked for Macaulay Culkin. It'll work on any kid. And it no. does not work on Daniel. It does not Daniel work. Daniel Radcliffe. It just throws me out every time. And there are long cuts of just his face. Yes. And they're pretty rough. They're pretty rough. Because uh, to be honest, like the kids have not developed their acting abilities to do those yet. types of shots. Because yeah. they do. There are definitely some long lingering takes in the other movies. But the, the, they are adults by that point they can handle that yeah the way it's shot especially with kids man it's rough to pull that off yeah how do you feel about all the um effects and stuff how'd they hold up for you honestly not that bad um yeah there wasn't like a single thing where i'm like oof that looks horrible um maybe if you look at the troll in certain parts but that's really about it there's only i mean even the quidditch one you know i had in the back of my mind i'm like it's you know Early 2000s. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, there's always like there's this part where while they're playing Quidditch, uh, they score on Slytherin and the Slytherin goalkeeper like snaps her fingers like, oh, nuts. And she looks like the fakest person I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's like <laughs> it looks like Chris Columbus forgot to get that establishing yeah. shot. So yes. he like he just got his assistant. He's like, can you just stand on this broomstick in front of this green screen and do this real quick? Yeah, it literally looks like a. it might as well be like animated. It might as well be like a cartoon animation. It looks not real in the slightest at all. Now, yeah. uh, on the uh, subject of silly nitpicks, yeah. I have. Uh, okay. Now that we're just going buck wild, no more. This is my <laughs> only one. I have a lot of silly nitpicks. Okay. One, and this is again. I feel bad, like kind of tearing into some of Harry Potter core values here. But man, Quidditch is a stupid game. It really. It is, is such game, a yeah. stupid game. It Picture is- if you were playing uh, uh, football, American football. Okay. Yeah. And you're playing, and you go about halfway through the uh-huh. game, it's and great. you've you've been dominated, and you have destroyed the other defense. They suck. Yeah. Half the people suck. And then you look up, and there's some dude in you're the like, stands like, who has a baseball in his hand. I found the gold coin under my seat. Game's over. I choose who wins. <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid game. And like... There's a main thing in the game where you're supposed to be knocking people off yeah. their brooms. Like, I yeah. understand violence. Don't get me wrong. That's why I like football <laughs> to a certain extent. But, like, it's like. I also. Okay. So, these are all, like, teenagers, right? They're not. They're they're fair athletic ability. Yes. How do they not constantly drop that ball on the ground? Just all the time. Constantly drop it. Like, all the 50 time. feet onto the pitch. All the time. <laughs> That would be my greatest fear. You're flying. How are you supposed to catch a ball and fly at the same time? I have no idea. These people must have incredible balance. I also think it's indicative of J.K. Rowling. I don't know how much of a sports person she is, but it seems like a non-sports person creating a sport and her being like, what would look cool? Yeah. I mean, it's really like... It's centered around the idea of Harry being the protagonist, right? Yes. Like, Harry is not only going to come in, like, he is the chosen one from page one. Not only did he survive this horrible wizard attack when his parents died, but he's also naturally good at flying, and he plays this sport where you can be the protagonist of the sport as well. Like, he is the most protagonist protagonist whoever, you know, MacGuffined around. So, yeah. Um, it's just Quidditch in, in summary. Quidditch is a stupid game. It's a cool looking stupid game. game. Yeah. Um, I did notice. Did you. Ever, so when you were reading, 
I totally didn't notice this. I totally don't remember this at all. But there are two scenes while Harry is playing Quidditch um, where Harry is not the point of view character anymore. And it never happens again. And I kind of wish it did. Like, I wish, like, those were, like – and I understand why she needs to tell those scenes from, like, not Harry's point of view because he's in the air and things are happening to him. Um, But it cuts from Harry to – basically like Hermione and Ron in the stands with Hagrid and they're trying to figure out what's happening when somebody is jinxing his broom. And in the movie, it's seamless because there's not a point of view person in the movie. In the book, it's very jarring because it's the first time we're not in Harry's head. And I almost wish it wasn't there at all or it was there more because I actually liked not being in Harry's head all the time. Yeah. I would enjoy it. It almost makes me think, I think there's a question we should start asking about books is like, would this book be improved or way worse if it was written like George R.R. R. Martin split character style? <laughs> I do think it'd be different if it was written today, though. I do think, yeah, um, you know, there, I think it would be very tempting to write from different point of views because I think like Ron would be a very interesting point of view character to tell a story from even Hermione I think would be hilarious to hear a story from um picture reading I want to set up something picture reading the book and then you go from Harry and then you get Ron chapters and then you get Hermione chapters then maybe a Neville chapter and goes between them and then it gets to the end of the book and then out of nowhere there's a Voldemort chapter I would lose my mind out that would be the coolest thing ever I mean that's always been like my one criticism of the Harry Potter series is that I always like I also almost fell off at book five not because I mean, it's a it's a different book to get through. It's definitely tonally super different. But after book five, I always expected there to be like a gang that formed mm-hmm. that was, you know, the core three and then Neville, Luna, and, G- and Ginny. I always thought it was going to be like the six of them doing adventures together, and it never was. We were always just stuck in Harry's head, and he was only just with Ron and Hermione. And I feel like that really like handicapped the different things that they could do. Um, because a lot of the other characters were just used as devices yeah. instead of real people, which is like the entire reason why this this book series stands out so much. So, yeah, I think it would have been really interesting to get like, you know, if it was written today um, and written from different characters' point of views. I wonder if it would be written today, though. You know, if this wasn't published, would we have – the YA renaissance in the past decade that we had. I don't know. Probably not, but also uh, I really want a Voldemort chapter now. There's something about that. That would have been incredible. I love how our nitpick of one small thing has turned into a nitpick of the entire Harry Potter series. It's. I mean, it's hard not to talk about this book and not talk about what it became. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one last silly nitpick, and it is more so a nitpick when, like, uh, it is both a silly scene in the book and in the movie, because once you step away and you think of the scene, it, it it's so ridiculous mm-hmm. and nerdy and crazy. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is a scene when they're in the dark forest and they're with Hagrid as a punishment for sneaking out at night. They get to sneak around at night with Hagrid, which yeah. is whatever. Uh, and so they need to find a unicorn who is wounded or dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and definitely seems like something I'd send 11-year-olds to go and do. Perfect for first-year kids to be in a forest full of dangerous creatures. 
Uh, so Hagrid splits Harry and Malfoy off, mm-hmm. and they find a dead unicorn mm-hmm. with Voldemort sucking its disgusting metallic blood, and then a centaur comes to save him. Okay? Let's take a step back there and listen to everything I just said. Yeah. Okay? He is in a dark mythical forest yes. with a bleeding unicorn that is mm-hmm. bleeding what is essentially this metallic silver mirror liquid. Yep. While that, a that vampire sucks, yeah, mm-hmm. a vampire is sucking the the neck of the unicorn, and then a centaur comes to save him. I'm on board. I like it all. What is going on here, guys? I, it was actually one of my favorite <laughs> chapters to read. I think it's a really cool chapter in the book, and the movie does the movie does a couple of funny things with it. It is also one of my favorite – to be fair, it's also one of my favorite movie scenes um, because I laugh so hard every single time like Malfoy is interacting with the rest of the cast. So yeah. I think Tom Felton is so good from day one. He is one Amazing. Of he nails it. And he has such great chemistry with the other characters like right off the gate. So like him complaining to Hagrid and to Harry as they're like walking through the forest is so funny. And then the minute he sees Voldemort, he drops everything and he runs away and him and the dog can be seen in the background screaming and running. As running like, yeah. Voldemort is like looming towards Harry. It's such a funny scene. And I love it so much. It makes me love like Draco like a million times. Um, in the book, it's this really somber, kind of beautiful chapter where they encounter centaurs at first, and you get kind of a peek of like centaur society and like what they're kind of about, and they're really weird and interesting. And then the super creepy scene happens, and then yes, he's saved, and he gets you know, you know, plot clues. Um, but both of them are like pretty, pretty great, pretty like super fantasy. Yeah. High mark. They're high fantasy. I will say in the movie, I laugh every time the centaur comes out because it's completely out of left field. The centaur is the, bad too. It's it does mm, that does that's the effect that ages the worst. I will say in the book they set it up body, a little bit better. His upper body looks like it should be a twelve foot man, and it's just cropped onto this tiny Sebastian little Sebastian horse, and it does not <laughs> work at all. <laughs> it's rough. Uh, so, do you have any other nitpicks? Uh, no, not really. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought it would. It definitely put me in the Christmas spirit. Oh, totally. I mean, Chris Columbus, that dude knows Christmas. Yeah. That and, dude and same knows with the Christmas. Book. It was really, it was really, I don't know, it was nice reading it. It was fun. Um, you know, I really look forward to, you know, when we start having kids and stuff, having them read it for the first time and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, I just, it's, it's. It's it was such a return to like when I was a kid, so it was such a magical time. Are you gonna knit your children sweaters with the first letter of their name on it? God, I really i I don't know if I can commit to that, but I really wish I I love Molly Weasley so much. If I could be anything like her, yeah, I really wish I I want I, I want a sweater with an A in front. Those sweaters look dope. I wanted one of those sweaters too. Yeah, Ron didn't know how good he had it. No, he looked he pulled off the maroon. Uh, so, David, would you recommend people read this book? I mean, yeah, if you haven't already. <laughs> if I you're, don't know why. If you're the one in a million people if who have not read. <laughs> read I don't know book. why you haven't read Harry Potter. Like, maybe you are the person who just watched the movie. I do know and doesn't want to do Potter, anything. So they are out yes. there. I know those people. And let me tell you, it is not some... Um, 
overbearing commitment. Honestly, if you want to re- even read the first one and not continue with the others and just watch the movies, that's fine. I would still yeah. say that's a dumb decision. You should read more books. But I wonder if, what I'm saying yeah, is... I feel like some people are like, well, I'm not going to read it because everybody likes them. So they must not be that great or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there's no like... I feel like those people don't listen to our podcast. Maybe that's possible. Those people are dummies. <laughs> I feel like those people aren't listening to this but podcast. I feel, like, I feel like there's a lot more than I realize. Like there's a lot of... It's, it's not just a fun book. It's a genuinely good book yeah like it's a genuinely good book yeah like the plot's a little bit goofy but again i think that's a genre thing more than anything else um but like the the quarrel mystery is like legitimately satisfying when it's solved it's a legitimately good surprise um i think a lot of you know a lot of the characters and different and the world like more than you know make up for any anything that it's lacking yeah yeah I totally agree. Yeah. It's just uh it's just fun, guys. Yeah, it's just fun. Like, it's just good fun. Just like have some fun. It's just like Christmas. chill out for a minute. Yeah. Have some Christmas fun. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so Amanda, would you recommend watching the movie? I would. I think the movie is a lot more true to the books than I gave it credit for. Um, I think this would be a very difficult book to script into a movie and i think they did yes. a really good job yeah um and i think it's a really beautiful movie the score is really beautiful everything looks amazing and interesting um so even if you just like watching things to appreciate the way they look and sound you'll love this movie yeah and i think it's a testament on like how to do a pretty good job on an adaptation yeah. because this is not a straight from the page to movie adaptation. They do make changes in both the characters, mm-hmm. some of the plot points, mm-hmm. and some of the scenes. But everything they make is in service to the medium that it's meant for. Yes. And that's why I think this is almost a perfect example on how to do an adaptation yes. correctly. I think so, too. So, so our recommendation is very controversial. Harry Potter is good, Harry guys. Potter is good and fun for everybody. It's good. Hot take. <laughs> What a hot, hot take. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's fun and it's a Christmas gift to us all. We're not going to do all of them in a row because we're not ready for that kind of thing. But we wanted to do Harry Potter 1 as a Christmas gift to both us and you. Yeah, let us know, you know, if we should just be doing this every Christmas or what you'd like. My idea was kind of to do it every Christmas. I like the idea of going through all the Harry Potters, but that we'll is see. an eight year commitment we did not discuss beforehand. So we can figure that Amanda out. Amanda has committed to eight <laughs> years of Harry Potter. Um, yeah, that will wrap us up for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining us on our Christmas special. Uh, please subscribe so you can get automatically updated when new episodes come out, wherever you get your podcasts. We still consider ourselves brand spanking new. We are still under 10 episodes. So if you enjoy anything we talked about in the last hour, please leave us a review and tell your friends. And if you do leave us a review, I will force David to read it aloud for you on this podcast in a very funny voice. Because I Yeah, let me find one. That. Just wait. iTunes is like, man, I don't want to load. Okay, okay. So I have one. Uh, what's the, what's the voice you want me to do? Here are the prompts. Okay. Dumbledore. Uh, (laughs) Uh huh. So just Dumbledore. (laughs) 
is there a scene? Are you putting me you into like Dumbledore and you are trying to keep a secret that you think is really funny? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like this is gonna be disappointing. Okay. Okay, this is uh appropriately from user Ravenclaw Hermione. Nice, nice. Yeah, I know. What a what a good username for this episode. Okay. Uh, Ravenclaw Hermione says, <clears throat> For movie lovers and book lovers alike, what a fantastic idea for a podcast. As lover of books, I always enjoy comparing the film adaptations to the original story. The hosts of the show have a delightful chemistry and lend a wonderful insight into how books and their movie counterparts are both worth experiencing. Great podcast. <laughs> Ooh, you sounded creepy at the end. <laughs> yeah, it went kind of more into like, like a Halloween ghost, vibe. Yeah, ghost of Dumbledore. <laughs> this is the ghost of Dumbledore. All right, well, we killed Dumbledore. What's your... Haha, we got their first Snape. Oop, spoiler. You should probably oh. edit that out. <laughs> nope. <laughs> In case you haven't seen it yet. I feel like everyone knows that by now, but um, we'll see. If you want your review... Uh, read by me in a stupid voice mm-hmm. that Amanda, I guess, gets to decide yeah, the, 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 the scene for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, make sure to do that. Huh? Nothing. What'd you say? Nothing. Okay. 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 Uh, make sure to write that on iTunes and tell us what your favorite Harry Potter moment and is. And what house you belong in and what your Patronus is and whether you agree or not or think that Pottermore is full of it. That's a lot of things to write. We want to know everything. I mean, we already know what house Hermione Ravenclaw is in. So, I mean, that makes it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We are adapted at Adapted Pod on all those platforms. You can also send us suggestions on what we should talk about next by shooting us an email at stuff at adaptedpod.com. I don't know why. (laughs) It is stuff at adaptedpod.com. Not super hard, but it's there. Not super hard, but we make it hard. Uh, so we will still be doing Matilda next. Mm-hmm. This was just sort of a fun bonus episode. So be on the lookout for that next week. Uh, in two weeks. It'll be our first episode of 2020. So thank you for joining us on this Christmas special. Uh, we'll see you next time. And don't forget, until then, never tickle a sleeping dragon. Until then, remember, it's Leviosa. Not Leviosa. Good one. Dang it. I was thinking about that the entire time. And I I was like, if Amanda doesn't take it, this one's mine. Ah, I used it. <laughs>